Happy Sunday, everyone. Many of you who have been here through the month know that we're using Pema Chodron's book, Living Beautifully with Uncertainty and Change, for inspiration. And it's asking us, if you will, to take a vow in a sense, to make a commitment to changing our lives and making the world a little bit brighter. Last week, we took the vow, if you will, or, or, or we took at least our intentions around causing no harm. And we talked about what that meant, that it meant putting a bit of a filter in between our thoughts and our ideas so that before they outpictured out in the world as something that would hurt someone, we're going to do a little bit of an evaluation. We're going to say, maybe I should use a different set of words, or maybe I should take a different kind of action. I can still get my idea across. I can still be authentically who I am, but I don't need to hurt someone else to do it, whether it's through my actions, uh, through my words, uh, through what I do in the planet. So that was our intention last week. That was our commitment, if you will, to doing no harm. Well, I'll let the cat out of the bag because some of you are wondering, well, what's next? What's the next commitment? What's the next vow we're going to take? And it's nothing more and nothing less than being committed to complete compassion. And so, of course, I managed to find a joke about compassion because it wouldn't be Sunday without a joke, right? All right. So a very compassionate Texas lady was driving across a high bridge outside of San Antonio one day. As she neared the top of the bridge, she noticed a young man about to jump. She stopped her car. She rolled down the window and said, please don't jump. Uh, think of your mother and father. Well, mom and dad are both dead, he said sadly, turning his back again towards his doom. Wait, she said, uh, think of your wife and children. Well, my wife left me, he replied. That's part of the reason I'm here, and we don't have any kids. Well then, she said, starting to grasp at straws, um, think of the Alamo. Well, that stopped him. Well, what's the Alamo, he said. Well, bless your heart, our compassionate lady said. I guess the poor Yankee's going to jump. <laughs> Now, you might be saying, Larry, that's a horribly uncompassionate joke to start us off on compassion. But, you know, I think that describes the problem. I think that, in a nutshell, describes what we're faced with when we're going to make something like a commitment to honest compassion for everybody. And that is, so many of the people out there aren't like us. It's easy to make a commitment to compassion for the people that are, are like you, that are part of your families, that are part of, uh, um, I don't know, uh, well, well, like here, is, would anyone in this room not extend a hand of friendship to someone else in this room? Do you know what I mean? It kind of goes with it. We, we know each other, even though we don't know each other perfectly or well in some cases, still, I would bet everyone in this room would st uh, extend a hand in, in friendship or to help someone out. But what about people that are really not like you? What about people that don't speak the same language that you do? What about people that don't have the same religious traditions that you do and might be viewed by you as, a, as somewhat harsh in the way they are out in the world? What about people that are actually kind of scary? Do you know what I mean? People that you run across that you're a little bit fearful for your physical safety. What about people that you don't even know, but just kind of looking at them across the street, you think, I'm glad I'm on this side of the street. <laughs> How 
do we extend a hand of friendship or compassion to people like that? Well, let me illustrate here, perhaps to get us started, with a, a quote from Pima Chodron. She says, Committing to benefit others or compassion is traditionally called the path of the bodhivasta, the path of the hero and heroine, the path of the spiritual warrior. The weapons of the spiritual warrior are gentleness, clarity of mind, and an open heart. As warriors in training, so to speak, we dedicate our lives to making ourselves available to every person and in every situation. Do you see maybe why this is called the vow of the warrior? It's not a vow that's made lightly, and I don't mean warrior in the sense that we're going to do some physical battle. The, the, the war, if you will, is right in here. Can I extend a hand of help to someone that looks a little scary? Am I willing to cross that street, so to speak, and just even say what's up to the person that looks a little scary? Am I truly available for the people not like me, that don't look like me, that have different backgrounds, different socioeconomic situations? Am I available to all? It is something from a place of strength. When we are strong in ourselves, when we do represent that, that warrior strong pose, it isn't to be fighting. It's the freedom to move forward from our own heart. And it has to come from strength. It has to come from a knowingness that I have a solidity in me, a power and a presence. It's what we teach on Sunday. When, when we're in that place of knowing that God resides right in me, then I can share that with someone else. You know, we talk about unity here every Sunday, nearly every Sunday, I think we talk about the idea that God and everything is one. One unified consciousness, one body of humanity, one. And so, if we're cutting out part of that human equation, if we are saying there's me and then there's that other, are not we saying we're not one? See, my fear is, in our own best interest, when we start dividing up the world into the us's and the them's, from the opposite perspective, we're another them. We're basically saying we're not one. We're, we're not one human family. When we leave out some of our least seemingly approachable people. So I want to tell you a little bit of a story. It, it uh, you know, started about three weeks ago, and I, and I had just finished reading Pima Children's book again, getting ready to do our series, and I noticed that we have a little bit of a street person that lives out on our street, just right in front of the building. I don't know if you've noticed, there's a little bit of a cell tower out there that the Art of Maintenance people own, and underneath it, or, or I guess the cell tower kind of comes out of it, is a little bit of a platform, a little kind of seat level platform. Well, we've had a gentleman out there for the better part of a month, I'd say. He's there every day, blazing sun, often talking to himself, and here's a judgment on me, I would say, not on him. He looks a little scary. So the first week after doing this material, I'm just walking by like this. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? He's talking to himself, and I'm just kind of like, well, I'll be to the building in a minute, you know, and we'll kind of just pretend a little bit that maybe he's not there. So I'm reading this material and think, Larry, you're the minister here. You can't be that way. 
we have things to offer this person. And if nothing else, we have a compassionate heart to offer to this person. Do you know what I mean? We may not be able to set him up with housing or a meal. Well, and here, I'm, I mean, how presumptuous of me to even assume these are things he needs, right? If nothing else, the minimum that I can offer him is a what's up? How you doing? And so... The second week, I steal myself. I, I'm thinking, well, I will be this warrior. I will take this vow. But you know, the week didn't go so well. The first day I walk past and I think, you know, I'm not trained in psychiatry. I'm sure there's someone much more qualified that could help this person. And so again, I kind of zoomed by. The third or fourth day as I'm walking by, I'm noticing that this guy probably also needs some, uh, some more grooming than what the church, we don't have a shower here. And so uh, again, I'm walking by kind of thinking maybe I should know a little bit more about public housing and the availability for a gentleman like that to, uh, uh, to find places to sleep and think, do you know what I was doing? Totally copping out. Are you getting this? You had a flaky minister that week. <laughs> totally copping out after reading this material. So last week I went and sat next to him on his little platform and I said, what's up? And I want to tell you, there really wasn't anything for me to do. First of all, I would say he, he is a little bit mentally disturbed and, uh, and, and although we conversed, I would say I wasn't sure how much understanding went in back and forth. But again, a hot day out there, I took him a glass of water. We visited a little bit. Um, there's no fear in me now uh, about that fellow out there. And, and I couldn't tell you for sure whether he feels any more or less welcome in the neighborhood. I would think maybe more welcome that, that of course, it's a public place. He's free to sit there, that there's a, a nice gentleman that, in that building over there that will bring me water now and then. So maybe there was a little bit of a, a connection there. But you know what? This vow isn't about fixing anyone. Now, this is the good news, I think, here, about taking this vow of compassion, this willingness to step outside of ourselves and, and help other people. It doesn't mean that, that, well, first of all, can I really fix anyone? I don't think so, because I don't think people are broken to begin with. You know, we're all exhibiting ourselves as we are in the world in any given moment. Most of us don't necessarily need any help at all but the kind of help that we do need I would suggest is understanding the kind of help that we do need is understanding that we're, we are all connected and that people will come and interact with me in a way to see if there is something to be done in this particular situation perhaps not much to be done but the what's up I think made all the difference he was no longer the other this concept of the other, I think, is interesting. The idea that there's an us and a them, the idea that certain groups of people behave in certain ways that are wrong or strange or frightening, that the belief that there's something fundamental different between me and, and, and Nancy or, 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 or me and Bill or, or anyone, 
when we are so, so very similar. The human condition is similar, almost identical throughout the world. Poverty exists everywhere. Disenfranchisement exists everywhere. Both happiness and success, as well as the opposite of those things, exist on every corner in this planet. We do not have a... um, you know, some special reverence for life and love here in America than we do anywhere else on the planet. We are indeed one human family exhibiting all of the same characteristics regardless of the colors of our skin and the language that we speak. Truly, we are no different than anyone. And so when we treat others differently... I would suggest we're inviting the same thing to happen to us. Now, this isn't perhaps in the line of payment children. She focuses more on the the kindness and the doing for others. But but I just want to suggest from that purely science of mind perspective that when we treat someone else as less than, it is a complete invitation to the universe to treat us less than. When we ignore someone in need, then we too at some point are to be ignored. When other people go under our radar and we allow ourselves, uh, well, either allow ourselves or consciously put up the blinders so as not to notice them, it's a pure invitation for the universe to treat us as a second-class citizen as well. So what do we do about this? Pima Chodron has some great advice. First of all, she says, simply put yourself in the other person's shoes. Because, she said, when you do this, the compassion will well up. When you imagine yourself as maybe winding up without a place to live. If you imagine yourself and not having enough food. Or imagine yourself being disoriented, sitting out on the sun under a a cell tower with no clear idea of what you want to do in life. Put yourself in that position. Even if there's nothing to be done, your heart will open. That, that vow or that, uh, uh, that idea of compassion will be there. And she says, once, once the heart is open, you're going to do the right thing. Whether it's just saying what's up, whether you're taking them a glass of water, whether you're offering to call a, a homeless shelter, whether you're extending a, a, a hand with a meal or whatever it might be, She says, once our heart is open, we will intuitively know the right thing to do, whether it's to call 911, whether it's to bring a glass of water, whatever it is, when our heart is open, when we're engaged, when we're seeing the potential of us being in a situation like that, we won't just continue walking, we'll stop and at least check in. We will recognize the fundamental human being that is before us and at least check in. The second thing that she suggests that we talk about, and this in particular is from that place of the warrior, is to proactively bless everyone. To proactively, because we know that we're enough, because we know we have enough, because we know God is fully in us, as in everything, we have that largesse, if you will. We have that ability in our own conviction and studiousness to extend the blessing to others. Maybe we want to do a prayer. Maybe we want to offer a more uh, complete helping hand in some way. So that's the second thing that she says is appropriate. 
But she's also quick to say, you don't have to physically do anything. This is more of an intention. This is more being careful that we do not exclude people just because they don't look like us, just because they're in a part of town that we question or, or hanging out with other people of a certain type. This is simply focusing our awareness in to each person as a unique demonstration of God regardless of, of how they show up on a given day. Pema Children also has, I think, a lovely spiritual practice that I'm going to share with you. Some of you may have heard of it. It's called Tong Glen. And it's a little bit of a prayer. It's a little bit of a breathing exercise. And, and the idea of it is that we breathe in the, the trouble that we're perceiving. So in the case of my uh, street person, I might breathe in the, the, the picture of him looking confused. I might breathe in the, the idea of him potentially not having enough eat or a place to see. I, I breathe in my, my own feelings of unease when I initially, uh, initially uh, sat down with him. You know, what's going to happen? What's he going to say? I breathe in all that discomfort, and on the out-breath, I breathe out what I do want to happen in the world. I breathe out the idea of him being safe and whole. I breathe out the idea of the communication with him being positive and loving. I breathe out a sense of security for the neighborhood and, and a, a wholeness and a great place for him to sleep tonight. So with each in-breath, you breathe in and actually feel those feelings of nervousness or upset. Sometimes it might be anger, whatever it is. That negativity, you breathe it in and you allow God to transmute it on the out-breath into something good and whole and positive. So are, are we willing to do an exercise together here? Something's really been bugging me lately. Have you noticed how... Uh, how Washington, how, how our houses of uh, Congress and representatives just seem to be doing crazy stuff. And it doesn't matter whether you're a Republican, a Democrat, or an Independent. It just seems like they're just having fights with each other and being mean around filibusters and tacking things on to bills that don't belong there and all kinds of just crazy stuff. And these are an amazing set of, I think, in general, very smart and capable people, and they're just fighting like kids. I swear, I just want to spank them. <laughs> It's not good for me to have these thoughts, right? This is not really useful for me to have these feelings of, of upset about the, the lawmakers that are, that are helping to run our, our beautiful country. And so I would like us, if you're willing, to do a bit of Tong Glen with me today around this. So just close your eyes for just a moment. Just find yourself sitting easily and peacefully and maybe bring up your own thoughts about what's going on in Washington. And so silently, as you breathe in, breathe in ideas of confusion or anger. And then breathe out something more like compassion and cooperation. So we might breathe in distrust. And breathe out, <sighs> harmony. We breathe in the, the anger maybe that we're feeling around this situation. 
but we breathe out a sense of peace and trust. We breathe in the confusion around what's to be done. And we breathe out a sense of productivity. So just for a moment, continue in this. Think of your own negative reaction maybe to what's going on in Washington. Breathe that in. And exhale with what you would rather see. Inhale. Allow the power of God to transform it. And exhale. Inhale. Exhale. You can open your eyes. So this is called Tonglen. The idea behind it is that within us, using the power of, of God itself, that energy of compassion that God feels us, we can transmute, if you will, those feelings, those experiences, that negativity that exists in the world, we can transform it through the power of our breath, the power of our intentions for compassion, into something more positive, into something more loving, into something more powerful. You can do it out loud if you like as part of your spiritual practice. You can do it silently when something out in the world uh, uh, trips you up or plays a trick on you and you find yourself feeling a, a little put upon or a little bitter. You can also use it though when you see an accident by the, by the side of the road because Tonglen is a form of compassion. You may not be able to pull your car over and, and come to someone's aid, but you can... Breathe in the traffic accident and the potential trouble and breathe out a sense of wholeness and trust that the, uh, um, the ambulance will be here soon. You may not have the, the time to be able to stop and phone 911, but maybe you will. So shall we take the vow? Shall we take our intention for not only just doing no harm, but for true compassion. Let us take the vow on this day. Let us extend our hand in friendship to the universe. Let us do the extra step of making the other back into one of our own human family. Let us do what is necessary to embrace compassion. I'm going to close today with a, a final reading from Payment Children's book. And uh, this is what she says about, uh, about this particular intention for compassion. And then I'll close with a prayer. She says, you know, it's not easy to take this vow. But every time we break it is what is important is that we recognize we've closed someone out. That we've distanced, uh, distanced ourselves from someone. That we've turned someone into that other the one on the opposite side of the fence. The commitment to take care of one another, the commitment of compassion, the warrior's commitment, is not about being perfect. It's about continuing to put virtuous input into our consciousness to continue to sow the seeds that will predispose our heart to expand without limit. Let us pray. 
There is one power. There is one presence. There is only one. There's no other to be found. There's no, there's no devil. There's no criminal element. There is nothing but God on this planet. And I know that means me. I know that I am part of God's one human family connected through bonds of love and compassion, connected through our very heritage, connected through love. It's my very nature to extend that hand of compassion. And on this day, I claim for each person on this room a greater willingness to do the same, a greater willingness to, to stop with the strangers who may appear in trouble and just say what's up, to just check in and understand if, a, if something as simple as a glass of water would help or as profound as calling 911. Just that simple ability to reach out to another human being. I know that it grows stronger in us with each passing day. Our ability to dispose of the idea of the other and recognize that we, all of us, are equally part of God. I'm grateful for this. Grateful for God showing up as the, the hands and the faces and the hearts in this very room extended in love. I let it be. And together we say, and so it is. Thank you so much for being here today. So glad you're here.